So, how are you? It's not starting. We're not starting with that. <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> I'm going to try and see what it's like to just include you in the intro. If, that that, if that's sure. cool. Okay. Whatever. This is your show. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm the boss. I'm the boss. I'm the boss here. Um, yeah, totally. Okay, great. And then, um, so I'll do that. I'll introduce you and okay. then you can jump in at any time. We could have recorded cool. all. I mean, this is recording. This could be it. This could be the it, raw and this could experience. Be, right. Just what like the very organic flow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like this is what it's really like. Right. Behind the scenes. Yeah. Like no oh. bloopers, all mm-hmm. authentic. Yeah. And then, um, and then we'll just like talk and we'll get the part of the story that makes sense, the most sense for you to tell and what um, donor conceived council is doing and what you're doing, what your goals are. And sounds great. Okay. Awesome. Great. Um, this is so, it's really embarrassing to do this in front of people. I don't know why, you know, when like, I won't watch, <laughs> you know how it's like parallel parking. Hi, welcome to everything's relative with Eve Sturgis. I'm Eve Sturgis. And this is a podcast where we explore all the ways the DNA testing is turning the worlds of people upside down. It so often happens with mail-in DNA kits, but that's not the only way that people can find out they aren't who they thought they were. Sometimes it's phone calls. Sometimes it's old papers. Sometimes uh, the dots get connected in all sorts of ways. Um, and people find out that one or both of their parents are not are not their biological parents. Uh, it can be very complicated, very confusing, and uh, no matter what, it's always complex. So I made a podcast about it. I'm here today with Tiffany Gardner of U.S. Donor Conceived Council. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Tiffany has been a real trooper while I tried this new format out of doing my intro and including the guest in the same. She's just, I just made a joke that I was going to play all the raw audio of me trying all these different intros and us talking and figuring out who's who. But now I really might (laughs) bonus, bonus content. Maybe it'll just be for my Patreon members. And because if that's not a reason to get you over to my Patreon, I don't know what is. But hey, let me talk to you about something else really quick first. Did you know that I consider myself a casual vegetarian? Yeah, when I'm not making this podcast, I'm also not eating meat. Whether you're a vegetarian or not, you may have discovered non-dairy creamers. And I love oat milk. So I'm going to tell you real quick about Willa's Kitchen. Willa's was founded by two sisters who were tired of plant-based milks that were mostly made of artificial, highly processed ingredients and loads of sugar, rather than actual plants. Plus, their grandmother Willa's recipe used real organic ingredients to create a deliciously smooth oat milk, and they thought, why not bring hers to the world instead? As they started on their entrepreneurial journey, they kept learning more and more about the way plant-based milks are normally made heavy processing, loads of food waste, and lots of funny business, including ingredients like rapeseed and canola oil that they didn't want to be drinking or feeding their kids every day. The biggest shocker they found was that oat milk is typically made with the oat sugar, and the best part of the oats are filtered out. This resulted in oat milk with a super sweet taste without all the benefits of the oats. Willa's is made with the entire oat, which gives it a rich, smooth taste and maintains all the oats' protein and prebiotic fiber which makes Willa's zero food waste. It's not just a healthier, more sustainable milk. 
it's super tasty. And I can tell you, listeners, they sent me a box, and I'm loving it. Willa's has been highlighted in Bon Appetit not once, but three times. Find Willa's Oat Milk at willaskitchen.com. That's W-I-L-L-A-S-K-I-T-C-H-E-N.com or on Amazon. If you use the promo code Everything's Relative, you get 20% off and you'll be supporting this podcast. That's promo code Everything's Relative to get 20% off. Okay, thanks. Back to the show. Uh, so Tiffany, hi. We had to reschedule a couple times, I think because of baseball. Yeah, Little yep. League has taken over my life and my mm-hmm. whole family's life. So that's fun. We're also a Little League family. Oh, very good. How old is your Little League player? I have three little league players. Oh my God. Yeah. Luckily, (laughs) luckily two of them are on the same team this year. We've got an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. Oh, so it's five. Is he doing T-ball? It is not T-ball. It actually is coach pitch. And then if you don't hit it from the coach, they do bring out the T. Yep. Yep. Okay. So we kind of have that too. We're in like, it's considered the farm league and it means that there's kid pitch uh, but Ooh. only for four pitches. And if they don't hit at four pitches, then the coach comes out. Okay. And yeah, the T is al- the T is also an option. <laughs> but- uh, you know what? It's all about having fun at this age. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. that works. That's amazing that you have three little league players. Cause just with our one, just with Dallas, we are like oh, spread thin and real tired. And yes. It's there is a lot of laundry all over the house mm-hmm. and we've been eating out more than I want to admit. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> just when you think you're like, you're just when you think you're like better than fast food, your kid is in, your kid is in little league and you just need people fed. <laughs> and like, and it is a battle. Yeah, totally. So anyway, that was a digression all to say that now you're here with me. Um, I reached out to all sorts of people this winter about, about podcasting with me. And, um, and I, I did it so fast and I was so excited by your response. I'm not sure that I even totally know. I mean, I already know, I know what I don't know, but, uh, I don't know anything about you, <laughs> but we did. It does say in your Instagram bio, wife, mother of three, all little league players. It doesn't say that I've added that. <laughs> um, attorney, writer, VP of communications for donor U S donor conceived council. So, so tell me all about it. What is there a personal story that goes, that bleeds into your work with the donor conceived council? There usually is. Um, yeah. So, so tell me, um, all about how you, how you are, how you are and who you are and what you do. And, um, why are you here? <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> well, um, to begin with, U.S. Donor Conceived Council is a, the first nonprofit in the United States devoted to advocating on behalf of the interests of donor conceived people. And we just formed in January of 2022. So we are brand spanking new. Wow. And uh, yes, we are an all volunteer group. And on our executive board, all of us were conceived with anonymous donations. So we've got five sperm donor conceived board members and one egg donor conceived board member. So we kind of 
run the gamut of experiences. We've got late discovery. We've got single mothers by choice. We've got people who've known their entire lives. And I am one of our late discovery members on the board. So I found out four years ago, just a little over four years ago, that I was conceived with anonymous sperm. And uh, here we are today. It's become a very large part of my life. <laughs> yes. Um, and did you find out because you took a recreational DNA test or because somebody spilled the beans or um, what? How yes. did you find out? My mom kept the secret for 35 years. It was right before my 36th birthday that things just kind of came to a head. And um, she decided that the time was right or that the circumstances warranted telling me the truth. And so she sat me down and told me that the father that I had been raised to believe was my biological father had been infertile and they had needed to use a sperm donor. And the man that I thought was my biological father actually died when I was four of colon cancer. And so I grew up raised by a father who adopted me after he married my mom when I was eight. So I was raised by a man that I always knew was not my genetic father. And he is on my birth certificate because he legally adopted me. And that's the man that I consider dad. So um, it's kind of interesting because I came into learning I was donor conceived actually not having been raised by my genetic father, but, and, and having that information and it not mattering to me, but still always desiring to know more about the man who I thought was my biological father who had died when I was four. So uh, it was a shocking revelation, but also one that in the midst of all the shock and trauma. <laughs> it also came with the silver lining of, wow, maybe I get to actually meet my biological father now because he may not actually be dead. Yeah. That's totally a, a kind of, for lack of a better word, weird twist to it. Is that yes. to think you, twist. <laughs> yeah. To think that you, part of, part of the narrative when a parent dies, when you're young, so almost pre-memory, I don't, I don't know, you know, age four is, so the idea, so that is super layered. There is so much to explore about growing up with the idea of somebody in your mind, um, your mind and your heart and the family story of who somebody is and where you right. can. And then this other idea that it's this third male, <laughs> third man in the, in the story, in your existing, your identity. Um, Oh, that's so weird. Um, okay. Uh, does your mom, had your mom been thinking about it for 35 years? Like she'd always known she needed to tell you? She made a promise to my first father that she never would because when they were going through the process in the eighties, the conventional wisdom was never tell anybody it's your secret and you're going to go home and you'll be intimate. And maybe, maybe the magic will happen and it will actually be you know, your genetic child between the two of you. So that's what they did. They didn't tell anybody. And my first father apparently was very adamant that that secret be maintained. So after he passed away, she didn't want to, to tell anyone. She ended up telling her parents because it was kind of part of her grieving process to let them know that I actually most likely was not his biological child. 
And she did tell my dad who raised me, but she never, ever wanted to tell my first father's family because not too long after my first father died, his father died and left my grandmother a widow and her only child had died. So my mom knew it would absolutely break my grandmother's heart to find out that I was not genetically related to her. And um, my grandmother and I were incredibly close throughout my life. She just passed away about three years ago. And I know, yeah, it definitely would have been very hard for her to accept that news if she had known it. Um, So my mom kept it a secret. And around the time that she did reveal the information to me, my grandmother who was my first father's mother, um, she had been diagnosed with dementia and I was in the process as one of her powers of attorney of moving her out of her home, moving her into assisted living, liquidating her estate and her assets. And that was very (laughs) traumatic and and stressful and emotional, just that process alone. I mean, in and of itself, that is something. Yeah. It is not, not a fun, not a fun task, not a fun time Mm. in anyone's life. Mm -mm. So I was going through that and uh, it was around that time. My mom decided that I needed to know the truth. And the additional uh, plot twist, of course, is that my first father had died of colon cancer in his thirties. So all of my doctors told me to start getting colonoscopies in my thirties, which I did. And I think that's when it really started dawning on my mom is when I turned 30 and started freaking out about colonoscopies and potential colon cancer diagnoses that she started talking with my dad saying, I just don't know. Should we tell her? Should we not tell her? And my dad, what's, uh, a, few, what's a few extra <laughs> 10 to 15 to 20 colonoscopies in a lifetime? No, that was my dad's, <laughs> my dad who raised me. That was his logic. He said, she's getting better healthcare than, than most people, mm-hmm. you know, that just, why would we tell her this at this point in her life? You know, Sorry. He, <laughs> <laughs> why would we? <laughs> But my mom did tell me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, wow. I haven't been in touch with my gastroenterologist yet about mm. uh, that new development, but I'm due up for a colonoscopy yeah. soon. So we'll see what happens there. Sure. They're wondering about you. <laughs> Whatever happened. Uh, oh yeah. I think that those are the, the, the must be the detail obvious must be the details that people making these decisions are thinking they're not thinking about. Right. And yeah, I think there's so many of those kind of things that, that I, I think I probably, I mean, I want to, and I, I bet a lot of people want to sit down and be like, did you ever think about this? Did you ever think about that? Did you ever think about, did it ever occur to you? So it's interesting that, um, cause a lot of people, I mean, I've interviewed lots of people that have gone through medical, uh, challenges based on what they thought they were inheriting. Mm-hmm. And no, and their parents did not tell them their mom, their mom, usually their mom, like has still kept it a secret. So it's interesting that she, she was moved by, by this, by that idea of colon cancer. Yeah. I mean, thank God it wasn't that I had some sort of disease or some sort of heritable condition. That was a mystery to me that could have been solved by knowing right. this information. It's kind right. of the opposite. You know, I was in some sense benefiting from mm-hmm. this, um, deception <laughs> that had right. been perpetrated. Right. So, um, yeah, so I guess I was fortunate in that sense because there are other donor conceived people who are 
certainly not as fortunate and do have things that maybe could have been discovered earlier had they known either that they were missing half of their medical history or if they had been fortunate enough to actually have access to that missing piece of information. Uh, so, and then how did you, um, so, okay. So you found out you were a donor, you're working with your, you're also helping process your grandmother's, um, estate and decline. And so how did you get from there to where you are now, where you're on the U S donor conceived council? Yeah. So, uh, quite a few other plot twists came in along the way between that happening in March of 2018 and, and where I'm sitting here today, which is, you know, April of 2022. Um, I immediately went home same day, ordered an ancestry DNA test, sent the results off same day. I got the tube in the mail and within weeks got the results back that showed two half brothers that of course I'd never heard of, which of confirmed for all of us that I was in fact conceived with an anonymous sperm donor. Um, over the course of a weekend, I managed to identify one of those half brothers as being the son of the person that was the sperm donor. Uh, I just managed to piece all that information together based on the little tiny bits of information that my mom had from the sperm bank. Uh, one of which was that the donor had been an Emory university student here in Atlanta and the um, half brother that I found online was connected to a family that like everybody had gone to Emory uh -huh. actually, except for my biological father, who was the sperm donor. <laughs> uh -huh. So what was really, really interesting to me when I put those pieces together was not just that I looked exactly like this guy whose pictures I found quite easily thanks to the magic of social media, mm -hmm. but that, uh, he is a graphic artist and had been a high school art teacher. And that had been my lifelong dream was to become an artist and go to art school, um, which was totally like came out of left field in my family and was always just the sort of mystery to me. Like, why is this my thing? And why do wow. I want to do this? And where did I get this talent from? And needless to say, my parents were not quite very supportive of that dream. So that's how I ended up an attorney, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it was very emotional for me to make that discovery and see so much of my own interests and physical traits and, um, personal philosophies to the extent I could see his social media all reflected in this complete stranger. Mm -hmm. Just really like, I couldn't even write it any better than it occurred. It, it's just that bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine all of those, all that information coming in at the same time, the three things you just said, like the appearance, the, the art and the, um, philosophies. And it just, I feel like I'm, I can see you sitting there and it just like a, like a, some kind of, you know, like the whole world around you is just spinning, spinning. Yeah. Rapid, like really vertigo, rapid. Just yeah, like, and just, what is going on? Yeah. This isn't real life. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, it, it took a while to sort of like process all of that. And of course, in the meantime, my husband's just like, Oh my God, you know, yes, these people are, you know, this has got to be the donor because he looks just like this, this, this son. And, you know, what are the odds that he's raised by someone that's his identical match and that's not the donor. And then the whole Emory connection. 
Meanwhile, meanwhile, you have, because this is four years ago, you have a one-year-old, if I'm doing some rapid math, right? He was just about to turn one. Yeah. So you have a little baby and then you have these future champion little league players. Yes. yes, uh, yes, But also (laughs) they need their mom. Right. Yeah. Um, And one of the, one of the, I guess, sadder aspects, but which made the search process that much easier was that my biological paternal grandfather had passed away just weeks before my mom told me the truth. And so there were obituaries online and the obituaries were just a gold mine to trying to figure out which of two brothers it was and um, finding people's names and then tracking them down through that. And uh, so after I identified him and kind of molded over not very long, I decided to reach out and I reached out to my biological father through a letter and he texted me back like almost right after he got it and said oh. that he was really, yeah, he, he was interested in meeting me and uh, everything sounded great. And um, when I, when I found him online, it seemed like if there was an ideal family structure to accept a uh, offspring born from an anonymous sperm donation, that it would have been this family because my dad and his wife, uh, sorry, I, my biological father <laughs> and his wife. It's hard. It's, I'm, tra- I'm tracking, but I know it's, so I know hard. they're, uh, they're both retired teachers and, uh, my biological father's father was a, um, a bishop in the Methodist church and like tons of just members of the clergy on both sides of his family. So my thinking was like retired teachers, heavily, heavily involved in the church. These are going to be really welcoming, generous and kind people. Like I've probably hit the jackpot in terms of finding the donor and and having a good outcome. That's one way Um, one would think of that. That, yeah. uh, (laughs) That's how I thought about it. Wow. (laughs) I really admire not knowing how the story is going to go. I really don't. Um, I really admire your perspective. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) Like they might be like how Jesus wants us to be. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, okay. it might be. Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. Um, that's what you're thinking. Great. <laughs> so he, he responded very positively in his text message and was going to be in touch. And then not that long after I got a letter in the mail wah, oh, wah, serious. <laughs> <laughs> saying that he'd talked it over with his wife and his kids and his wife had always known he was a donor. So this was not like I rocked mm-hmm. her world, mm-hmm. but his she was three giving sons, him that I told you so look across yes. the table. She was like, At 100%. Yeah. Uh, his three sons had never been informed. And so this was news to them. Um, and they're all adults. It's not like they were younger children right. or anything. They were all. They didn't have to get. Right. They didn't have to have <laughs> the birds and the bees talk. Yeah. They you didn't know? have to be a talk like, about sperm. They knew what it was. They knew what it was. So they were not, they were not thrilled about this. And he basically said it would be too upsetting for them and we would never be able to meet. And here's a little tidbit about me and, you know, hope you have a great life. Um, And me being very persistent in an attorney, there were quite a few uh, illogical concerns in expressed in the letter. So I wrote a very thoughtful response back. (laughs) Exhibit A. Exhibit B. Essentially. Yeah, essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, he later told me, like, I knew that I was going to hear from you again, even after I sent my letter. Like, he just knew. 
he right. already knew that about me that this girl, she ain't given up. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how he knew that if he recognized something in me or already felt like this connection, but he said, I knew that wasn't the end of it. And so I sent him another letter and then he called me, um, not long after that and said that he totally wanted to meet. Like he, he had thought about it. He was done with it being a negative experience and he wanted to meet. So we did and hit it off immediately. Just, uh, you know, it's, I don't really, I'm a writer and, you know, words are my thing, but I still struggle with how to describe walking up to a genetic parent for the first time in your life as an adult Mm -hmm. and just seeing your face reflected back in a new way and talking to that person. I I mean, I think we spent most of that first lunch together, just staring at each other Mm -hmm. and kind of just seeing mannerisms that we shared and um, I have his eyes, nose, I've got his mom's smile, uh, inherited their tendency to burn to a crisp in the sun. Just all, all this stuff that was staring me back literally mm-hmm. in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, very that, weird. That had otherwise never been there. That yeah. you didn't, and I imagine, I mean, I, I didn't, it didn't occur to me until just now, but like it didn't, you didn't even know it was missing. I or didn't know it didn't, was missing or you, because until it he, was happening. Right. He and my mom look similar enough, I think, to where there was never a question because people have always told me that I look exactly like my mom. Mm-hmm. But now I can look at pictures of my biological father and his mother and see myself in them. So, but I never thought I looked anything like my first father, who was supposedly my biological father. Uh-huh. But yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know if you, what you looked like in rep and rep, uh, resembling your mom, but I just felt like I would know by now in the story if you looked shockingly different from everybody in your family. So yeah, where the narrative yeah, is that I, you are missing, you mom, are missing that experience. But to see it, to see it, to, to have an experience of something that you didn't know was going to be important is, 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 is its own, it's its own trip. Well, I would joke with my mom. Isn't it funny how I look more like John, my, my dad who raised me than Ken, my first father. And for me, it was funny. Like, Oh, John's got the dark hair. John's got the hazel eyes like me. John's got a nose similar to mine. I'm sure my mom was thinking like, Oh shit. No, it's not funny. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ask any more questions. Let's, let's, how's the weatherman, you know? Yeah. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious, honey. Oh yeah. Let's move on. Excuse um, me while I go into my bedroom and scream and do a pillow for a minute. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, we had a great, great relationship for a year. I mean, we were meeting every few weeks, texting all the time, phone calls. We would trade off who was paying for lunch because he lives 30 minutes down the road. We're in the metro area, uh, all in the Atlanta area. And I met his wife and, and she uh, met my husband and, um, it was going great until they decided to tell their sons that rather than blow me off with that first letter, that he'd actually been building a relationship with me for a year. And, uh, that was his decision to not share that information with them. But I think he always probably knew that it wasn't going to go well based on how they had initially reacted to me just popping up. He probably knew once he let that cat out of the bag that he hadn't ignored me 
and had actually met with me that it was going to cause some problems. Yeah. What? Ugh. Okay. Mm. I have a yeah. lot of, I have a lot of opinions and feelings and statements about that, but, um, you can do I, <laughs> <laughs> so they, yeah, they revealed that information and, um, his oldest son actually had been amenable to meeting with me and I did have one lunch with him and we got along, you know, great. It was fine. It was less comfortable than when I met, you know, biological father, but, uh, was still fine. We still had a very long lunch and nice conversation and things in common. And he never had a sister before, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, like, come (laughs) on, your dad had three boys and you have three boys and you're like, yes, girl. And come on, come on. I'm your bonus bonus. (laughs) So, uh, you know, that son was like, yeah, you know, if my mom's cool, the rest of us should be cool. The rest of them were not cool. Mm. So when the middle son found out. And when the youngest son found out and when the daughters-in-law, the wives of the oldest son and the middle son found out, I don't know what all was said, but it was, um, there was jealousy expressed by the daughters-in-law and, uh, the middle son could not understand why I wanted to have a relationship with his father, why I would be interested in knowing them. And, I suspect that perhaps his wife had not been as cool with everything as she had led him and me to believe because I knew things were going south without a way to turn it around when she mm-hmm. blocked me on Facebook. Oh, uh, yeah, totally. We've been friends. She liked my stuff. I liked her stuff. And then all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, I'm blocked by her. Wow. Long, long story short, despite promising me that you know, we would stay in touch and, uh, maintain a relationship in some semblance. I eventually got an email from my biological father saying, we're done. Um, this is too much for my family and we will never be in any communication again and hope you have a great life. Um, and three weeks before that, my dad who raised me had been diagnosed with cancer. Oh my God. (laughs) Come on right? There's a lot of plot twists. So I had told that to my biological father because it had been radio silence for some weeks after learning that he'd, you know, come out and told his family mm-hmm. about everything and that there had been some, some negativity expressed. God, I, ooh, ooh. okay. continue. <laughs> so, so I texted him and, and just, you know, kind of wanted to touch base, see, see where things were standing. And, you know, by the way, uh, hope you had a nice father's day. My dad got diagnosed with cancer last week and, uh, let's, let's talk if we can still talk about everything and uh, no response to that. Just several days later, the email. And since then, uh, you know, blocked by him on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. I imagine he would do Twitter if he knew I was on Twitter and if he did anything on Twitter, uh, blocked my phone number, probably blocked my email address and never got my response to him. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much been it. Any, any time I thought maybe a door was opening, it has not been opening and he has scared off his first cousins and their children from ever responding to any of my, uh, attempts at connecting via ancestry or 23 and me. Um, his sister has ignored any message I've ever sent to her. 
I've never tried reaching out to his brother, but I'm pretty sure I know <laughs> that that would be pointless. There's still a chance. Okay. Um, yeah. I, you know, it, it got to a point where I was just really, really tired of having doors slammed in my yeah, face. So yeah, I, do, I don't make the first introduction anymore. Um, mm. I have had some distant cousins that have been absolutely incredible and mm. have welcomed me with open arms and, and shared family stories and information. And that has really been a blessing, but it's very awkward because like I said, we all live in the Metro Atlanta area and we have friends in common. And like just last week I was on vacation and his oldest son that I met was on vacation in the same area. And I know that because as creepy as it may sound, I still check what I can on social media just sure. To, sure. Just out of curiosity. And I think people probably who have never been through an experience like this would probably hear that and think, well, that's just plain crazy. But I know that it is not an uncommon thing to do for those of us who have been sort of rejected by genetic family. To the extent we have an interest, we want to get what information we can. So we check what's available. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that even makes sense to me just as a, just, uh, just from my experience, not related to MPE, uh, life at all, but just as a therapist, the amount of clients that, that want to talk to me about wanting to check a boyfriend or a girlfriend that's broken up with them, like, mm -hmm. or like you, there was somebody in high school that like hurt you really bad. Yes. And you, yeah. And for some reason you're just like, I wonder what they're doing now. And then yeah. the next thing, you know, you're like, um, you know, four hours deep into their <laughs> life <laughs> you know, on Instagram. Um, yeah, we, I, it doesn't, I don't question, I don't question it at all. I would be surprised if anybody really didn't understand that, um, for that reason. Yeah. I mean, I, I try, it's not healthy for me to do it. And so I mm -hmm. don't do it as much as I used to, but I was curious while we were on vacation, if they were there too, because I knew that they had a vacation home there. And, um, my husband has said that he doesn't want to go to that Island, that particular Island mm. we were on because of that. But I grew up going to that Island because my dad who raised me, his parents lived there. And so that like, I've got my own personal memories there and I don't want to allow this family <laughs> to take that away from me. Like that's my place. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to not go there because I'm afraid I'm going to run into you, but I am also afraid I'm going to run into them at some point there. So this yeah, that's all. Yeah. Mm, I just, I know, oh, I just, I know that this, you're not the first person obviously to, to come and tell me about a rejection story, but I am fascinated by adult children telling their parents what they can and cannot do. Yeah. Um, I'm, that's just what I'll say about it. Yes, I know. I, I've, you know, it's taking, taken a lot of therapy over the past four years to really get to a place where I can even tell the story without crying. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I can't explain it. I'll never be able to explain it. Mm -mm, and no. I've, I've, there was a time when I was kind of holding out hope that it would change, but I don't anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to change because I think it would have changed by now if it were going to, I just, 
don't like living in sort of a perpetual state of hope, but also dread that our paths are going to cross because the likelihood of it is very high given Mm -hmm. our commonalities, common interests, places that we both like to go. It just seems like it's inevitable at some point. Mm. And since then, um, two months after he sent his email, my dad who raised me did die of cancer. So that happened really fast. Yeah. He went downhill very fast. It was a quick diagnosis and, Mm. and a quick, quick loss. Um, and then here's a silver lining. Uh, the day after my dad died, I had a new brother show up on ancestry and he was the first new half sibling to pop up since I had joined on any of the websites and I gave it a week. Um, and he didn't reach out to me and I just was too curious. I was just too curious. I mean, even with all the grief over my dad, this was a new person and I just am naturally curious and I want to know about people I'm related to, particularly half siblings if they come up. So I reached out to him, totally expected to just never hear back because the other uh, half sibling that was on ancestry that is not related or that was not raised by the donor Um, Mm -hmm. he's never responded to me, Hmm. but this one responded within hours and said, um, apparently we're related and I'm just kind of like losing my mind over this. And, you know, can we meet for, for coffee? Because we, in exchanging messages, realized that he lived like 20, 30 minutes away. <laughs> everyone also, stayed, everyone stayed in Atlanta. Everyone from, stayed in Atlanta. Yeah. From gamete to <clears throat> now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're all in Atlanta. And so we, we met up and since then have become super close. Uh, I actually, just before this interview got back from a nice long lunch with him. <laughs> oh, that's so great. <laughs> yes. So now did he know he was donor conceived before Nope. He sure didn't. Mm. Nope. Yeah. He was in, he was in his car with his mom on the way to breakfast when he got my message. And he said, mom, what's up with us having other family members here in Atlanta? I thought we were the only ones. And he said, she was basically like, well, crap. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Mom, uh, what's up with this lady? And what's up with ancestry saying she's my half sister. What's going on, mom? Mom. So mom had to had to tell him the truth at that point. And his mom's great. Um, she's met my mom and we do holidays together now. And his son and daughter are approximately the same age as, as my sons. And Oh, great. I love that. That's so fun. Yes. It has, that is, that has become like the saving grace of the entire experience is just having at least one sibling who not only was open to connecting, but we have connected in such a strong way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's been, it's had a lot of ups and downs, but that's definitely been the best part of it. And so far he is, he's the only sibling who has had any interest in, (coughs) in connecting. We've got another brother that showed up right when when COVID hit, Mm. but I talked to you on the phone one time and we exchanged a couple texts, but he's just not interested in pursuing anything. Mm-hmm. He might just have enough going on in his own life right now. Yeah. You know, so, but you know, I, I do the thing where every couple of days I'm checking ancestry and 23 and me just waiting, 
waiting for the next one to show up because it's been two years now and I feel like we're due. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, right about now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's what led me to USDCC. <laughs> uh, initially, I, I was really okay with the whole donor conceived thing when I was in contact with my biological father and it seemed like a best case scenario, you know, having access to the medical information, being able to have just even just a friendship with this guy. I wasn't looking to have a new dad. I wasn't looking to be, you know, in the will or anything. I know. Like so, that. I was about, what about you know, the, inher- but what about the in- inheritance, it, Tiffany? Were yes. you there for the inheritance? Yeah, no. And uh, apparently that was asked at one point if I needed money or if I needed a kidney for my child. Of course. Um, yes. <laughs> it could never just be innocent curiosity. Who has that? <clears throat> so the joy of relationship was not enough. No, the joy of connecting and just meeting a new person and expanding your world was not enough. Um, so, but after all that went downhill and particularly just, you know, experiencing a massive amount of grief, um, my first father's mom, who I had to move out of her home and, and take care of with dementia, she died uh, a couple months after my dad died. So it was, Mm. it was a lot of loss and a lot of grief, like compounded over a small amount of time. And after she died, I felt like I was finally able to be free and tell my story because Mm. the one person who could have most been hurt by the truth was no longer with us. And uh, having my brother in my life and wanting to be able to share that also uh, really pushed me to tell the truth. So I, I, came out and told everybody the situation and really um, got involved on social media, just sort of telling my story through Instagram and opening up a a Facebook page dedicated to it and Twitter. And I've just made so many great friends in the donor conceived community over the last few years, first through the, the, we are donor conceived Facebook group, which is a support group for people who find out that they are donor conceived or who have always known that they're donor conceived all from around the world. And it's just, it's nice to know that you're not alone. Like that, who knows how many of us are actually out in the world. There could be a ton. And and most of us probably don't even know that we're donor conceived just given how things were done back in, in my parents' time. But it, it's been wonderful to make connections with other people who've had similar circumstances or totally different circumstances and just to see the commonalities. And that's how I got involved with U.S. Donor Conceived Council because Erin Jackson, who started We Are Donor Conceived, she had the idea of starting a nonprofit devoted to educating the public and to advocating on the issues that impact donor conceived people. And I was really fortunate enough to be asked to join in with their efforts. And we've been working nonstop on on different projects since January. And um, it's just really, it's nice to be able to take the lingering hurt (laughs) and frustration over what has occurred and channel it into something that feels like it could actually make a beneficial change and to educate people because it has become very clear to me that our stories have not been told enough and widely enough to reach the people that need to hear them. 
And there are a lot of misconceptions or just plain lack of understanding about what late disclosure can mean and how, while not all donor-conceived people want to make a connection with the gamete donor, shouldn't they at least have the option to do so if they want to? Uh, so that's that's really what U.S. Donor Conceived Council is focused on, is just educating on those things and to the extent we can, advocating for changes that will benefit donor-conceived people in the future. Yeah. Oh, thank goodness. We know it's a phenomenon, right? What's happening right now. I know that. I say it all the time. Um, but to just to suddenly have an entire population of people become adults and say, hey, this is how we feel. This is what we think. This is what we want. Um, it, I, it's a, I don't blame the world for being bewildered with you know, donor conceived population. Um, but it is interesting. It just, it's so interesting to think of all these ideas and philosophies and protocols set up around, around babies that would one day be adults. I don't right. know if I can think of like another thing. There isn't. Um, that, that we could compare that to that, uh, like, to, I, I'm not saying that nobody did this, but to imagine people being like, wait, if we make all these rules about this thing, what if the, when the babies are going to grow up, like, I can't think of another, I mean, I guess there's probably protocol around for uh, anything birth and baby related. We could sort of apply to this, but. Well, right. And then particularly in the United States where it is so unregulated, which right. is another misconception that the general public seems to have is that this is federally re regulated and the banks are all talking to each other. And that is just not the case. The only regulation is from the FDA and the CDC, and there's nothing regulating the number of times a donor can donate, how many families can be born, um, whether the donor has to be anonymous or it can be open ID at 18. This is all just up to bank policy, individual bank policy. And the um, ASRM has guidelines that are non-binding on all these banks, but a lot of banks are not even following those guidelines. So well, I think Eve Wiley just posted about that today or mm -hmm. yesterday about how yeah. there's these guidelines, but there's no consequences Correct. for, for not following them. They're just sort Correct. of like suggestions. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> if you want to do something the right way, here's what you could do. <clears throat> and, you know, we don't, necessarily agree with all of the ASRM guidelines, but there are some really good guidelines in, in there that it would be wonderful if banks were complying with and applying. Well, it shows that someone was thinking about it. Correct. Yeah. Right. right. Sort of like even right. to think that, the, that something as big as the ASR, uh, ASRM actually humanizes the, the donation process somehow, like right. they, somebody there weren't, there wasn't completely clueless robots or whatever, you know, whatever. Right. Yep. Hmm. So right now we're, we're educating people on that and it, we've done a lot <laughs> in four months. And right now there's just six of us as board members, but we're hoping to get a lot of volunteers on board and, and start really getting the word out through um, anybody that wants to help with our organization. So if people want to connect with you or Donor Conceived Council or We Are Donor Conceived, what do you think is the first thing they should do or go to? 
the websites for both are the best ways. So for donor conceived council, it's www.dcc-usa.org. And for We Are Donor Conceived, which is more of the, the support group, um, it would be wearedonorconceived.com. Great. So go there, go to, go yeah. to one of those and, and see, yeah. see where you're sort I mean, maybe you already know where you're called, but see what, what kind of res what kind of resource it is for you or you could be for it. Right. Yep. And we're, we're on social media, but we've got links to that through the website. So that's the easiest way mm -hmm. to, to get to all of that. Right. So go to the website as like home base and then yeah. spread out from there. Yep. And there, there's a way to donate on the website and there are also uh, ways to sign up to be involved with the organization as well. And what kind of things would one do possibly if you were to sign up to, if you volunteer, what are they, what? Sure. So we are working on legislation in, in different areas. And, um, if any legislation goes forward, we would need people to, to testify and support. So that's one of the things that we would love to have volunteers for, just sharing their stories about donor conception or using a donor. We're absolutely happy to hear from recipient parents or parents who can understand where we're coming from in our vision. And uh, that that's really important. People who would be willing to share their stories with media. Um, we often have reporters contacting us wanting to know if we can recommend someone who's had a certain type of experience with donor conception. So we're trying to collect people that uh, we can recommend for reporters to speak to who are open to that. And then just as we sort of get moving a little bit more, people with graphic design experience, people to help with fundraising, people to help with administrative tasks, it really just all over the board. We're willing to take anybody. Yeah, it sounds. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, which is what most uh, like nonprofit volunteer opportunities are. But it sounds like there's things you could be as involved or as little involved as you want. Right. But still, still be a part of something and still support it um, at your own comfort level. Right. Um. Yeah, and and I I really love the idea of of this situation, which is not always a trauma, but it it can be and or and even if someone has always known so i guess that's why i'm calling it a, a situation of being mm -hmm. a donor conceived person using your story for a greater good right just sounds nice this thing that otherwise um feels maybe to some people like it's just in a vacuum of our existence or it's just this dangling exterior part of us i don't know how to describe it but um so so go over there, go to those websites. I will have them up on my Instagram uh, and socials. And on my website, if you go to the, the uh, resources for MPEs, I'll have it all there for Thank any listeners. Yeah, for any listeners who um, want to check this out further. Thank you so much for giving me your afternoon. Your uh, It's evening for you. It's like dinner. I appreciate you having me on and letting me share my story and, and plug DCC and and just try and get people over to the website. Yeah, get them over there. You know something I've been thinking about a lot over here at Everything's Relative Podcast? Sex. So let's talk about setting the mood. That's right, the mood. You know, when you want to get intimate, or perhaps after you've gotten intimate, be it by yourself or with a partner, there is something you need to have on your nightstand. Mod. Mod is redefining what sexual wellness and modern intimacy looks like. They are creating a whole new chapter in the outdated sexual wellness industry. 
Maud makes modern, body-safe, and high-quality essentials for before, during, and after sex. They have a whole variety of products, like vibrators, lubricants, and condoms. Their products are absolutely beautiful, with a lot of attention paid to design, sustainability, and simplicity. Basically, if sexual wellness has a name, it would be Maud. Honestly, these are products you want to be seen in your bedroom, instead of hiding them. And I don't know if you guys know how ad partnerships work with podcasts, but they sent me some products and let's just say everyone here at Everything's Relative, everyone is satisfied. One of the coolest things about Maud is that it is a female-led Latinx-founded company. Their founder, Ava, created Maud for all bodies, all genders, all races. Dakota Johnson just joined Maud as their co-creative director. Hello. And guess what? You, listeners of Everything's Relative podcast, are getting a treat from Maud. As our partner, Maud is giving $5 off your first order on all products with the code EVERYTHINGSRELATIVE. Head over to getmod.com forward slash EVERYTHINGSRELATIVE. That's getmaude.com and use EVERYTHINGSRELATIVE to get $5 off your first order. Enjoy the mood setting. Wow, how fun was that? Um, Even though a big part of the story was not fun, Sometimes it just feels really good to connect with people over, over commonalities, um, even if the commonalities are emotional experiences. Um, thank you again to Tiffany Gardner from U.S. Donor Conceived Council. If you are a donor conceived person, or I would like to say anybody involved in the MPE world, but the donor conceived people are really doing awesome things and everyone should get over there, um, support them, listen to them. They're, they're a growing population. It's a fascinating phenomenon, uh, like I had said, of, of all these, these babies becoming adults and having something to say about it. Uh, so that's another episode, you guys. Um, like I said earlier, if you need any of that information um, about Tiffany Gardner's nonprofit organization, it's not her organization, but the one that she um, is a part of, U.S. Donor Conceived Council, go on over to my website. It's at www.tiffanygardner.com everythingsrelativepodcast.com. That's also uh, the handle for my socials. If you're looking to follow me on Instagram at everythingsrelativepodcast. And hey, you could support me on Patreon if you are feeling like you just have like all this money and you don't know what to do with it. So you should just probably support my podcast. That's an idea of something you could do with it. Uh, And you can also email me at eve at everythingsrelativepodcast.com. Come back next week. I will have another episode. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Eve Sturgis and Kaylin Egan and edited by Joy Rumor. Logo designed by Ivy McNally and music is used with permission from Goodbye the Band. Eve is a licensed psychotherapist, but her podcast episodes are not therapy sessions. Mm-hmm.